Hello, my name is Natalia Fedorchuk. I'm a student project manager at the Clark Forum for Contemporary Issues. Today I'm joined by Regina Galasso, who is a professor of Spanish and Portuguese studies, as well as the director of the Translation Center at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So for those who are not aware of your background in language and translation, uh, could you just briefly explain how you got into the field, as well as your experiences within the area of language and translation? I went to Rutgers University as an undergraduate and I majored in Spanish and during my time at Rutgers I spent one year at the University of Valencia in Spain. That was a very interesting moment because Rutgers prepared me very well to, to speak Spanish and to go to Spain and to spend a year abroad and you know, that was at a time when not every student studied abroad. And if they did, they, they really only went for a semester because, you know, not everyone was walking around with cell phones with the ability to like FaceTime with their parents and friends back home all the time. So I think students were a little bit more hesitant to study abroad and, and spend a whole year abroad. But that, that's what I did. And so Rutgers prepared me really well for that. But then when I got there, to Valencia, people were speaking, in addition to Spanish, Valenciano, which is a dialect of Catalan. And I wasn't so prepared for that. And at the University of Valencia, if you're not careful which course you sign up for, you could have a professor who speaks Valenciano instead of Spanish. So that happened to me. That happened to me on a few occasions. And I met a lot of students there who spoke Valenciano and spoke Valenciano to each other. So I think that additional language thrown into the mix really inspired me and challenged me and even like improved my Spanish in, in many ways. And so then I, um, I went to Middlebury um, and I did the Middlebury Spanish program in Madrid. And that was a year that was a master's program. And, and that was all in Spanish. And then I went on to do a PhD at Johns Hopkins in, in Hispanic literature. And then I, I became a professor. And translation really didn't enter until I was trying to make my, well, translation, I guess, as, as a scholarly kind of question didn't really enter the picture until I was trying to convert my, my book into a manuscript. And I worked on writers from Spain who, who traveled to New York and who wrote about New York and who lived in New York, but they didn't necessarily have to write in, in Spanish. Um, they could write in English or Catalan. And I realized that the, the key to like bringing all these authors together was translation and that there were that translation was a useful tool, tool to see how these writers wrote New York and responded to New York and to understand why their New York texts were some of their most important texts of their, of their careers. So I guess that's kind of the, the scholarly side of things. And then, and then after that, that book um, and being at UMass Amherst and where translation is really alive, then, then it just kind of took off from there and met people along the way who wanted me to translate their work or all kinds of things. But I think just that story of, of my education and, and leading up to a serious moment of interaction with translation was, was really what, what got me interested into the practice and the study of translation. And then I guess on a more 
personal note, I, I grew up in New Jersey and my family spoke English at home, but there were many Spanish speakers in my community. So I, and Portuguese speakers, so I always wanted to, to learn Spanish and I was always thinking about how I needed to have contact with, with these languages that I didn't already know. And then um, my grandparents were a really important part of my life growing up. And I remember being little and thinking that it was so interesting that my four grandparents had parents who, who were not from the US. And even though that's like, oh, that's my great grandparents, they're, they're so far removed. But you know, on one side of my family, all of those great grandparents were Italian. And then on the other side, there were you know, great grandparents who were Ukrainian and Hungarian and Danish. And it was so fascinating to me that my grandparents' parents spoke all these languages and came from other countries and didn't have college degrees, and that my grandparents didn't speak any of those languages. And I think I always had fun just like imagining what it was like for my grandparents growing up in New York City in the presence of those other languages that, that were like totally absent from my relationship with my grandparents. Although I heard about them, the actual languages and and the feel of them and how they sounded were kind of absent so i think that kind of personal story helped me think about about translation and how translation like is the presence of absent languages <laughs> through your direct experiences um within like the field of publishing like through like your books do you find that you see a struggle between language translation in um, literary works and authors trying to get their books translated? You might have heard about this, this, this 3% number, this famous number that, we, that is thrown around that 3% represents the number of books published in the US per year that are translations. So there are so many stories that are not getting translated into English and that we're, we don't know about. And it's really important for authors to get translated into English because sometimes getting translated into English means that they'll then um, get translated into other languages. If they want to win the Nobel Prize, they need to be translated into English. If they want maybe their book to be made into a movie, they need to, to usually have the book translated into English. There are many authors out there who, who want to be translated into English for many reasons, and that just doesn't happen because there aren't maybe as many publishers looking to publish translations, although I think that, that that's changing, and I'd probably like to see some updated statistics to see if we're like still at that 3% number or, or something larger than that. And like, just for a point of comparison in, in European countries or in like Spain or France or Italy, I think that number is more like 25 to, to 30% of the books published there are translations. So, so it's, it's really different. So I think um, that could be one of the struggles with books and translation and, and publishing. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel personally that the literature and publishing industry affects the development of like multilingual communities or like communities that encourage like uh, multilingualism and translation and what can publishing do to be better well let's see so i think that well there are a number of things like if we just think about 
an actual book. Um, many times the, the translator's name isn't even on the book or on the book cover. So if you're not like looking out for translations, you might not know that the book you have in your hand is a translation. And then if you are actively looking to read translations, and why would you do that? that? Because you would do that because you want to make sure that you're hearing the stories of people who live in worlds outside of English, right? If we didn't have translators, we would only know the stories of people who think and write in English. So, um, so if you're looking for translations and the translator's name is not on a book, that, that, that could be a problem too, right? So what can the publishing industry do is perhaps put the translator's name um, on the cover of the book, if, if the translator wants to, because I, I think there are some translators who, yes, like are, are very active and very vocal about having their names on the cover of the book. And then there are some translators who actually, you know, like the fact that they're not the star, that they're, that they're not, that they're a ghost. Um, so if the translators want their names there, they, they should be there. I, I also think, you know, just kind of thinking not only about publishers, but but bookstores and how bookstores are organized. If, you know, if bookstores made translations more, more visual, and there's a bookstore I go to um, in Barcelona a lot called La Central, and there in, in the fiction section, they have like the bookshelves arranged by, you know, Italian literature, Arabic literature, French literature, and even though those books are in Catalan or in Spanish, the label there tells you, you know, reminds you that this book possibly was in another language before it got into Spanish or Catalan. So, so the booksellers, another one of the, um, I think, players in, in the book world could bring more attention to, to translation and then also, you know, introducing young people, children to translated literature like in K through 12 schools or at a, at a younger age, you know, introducing, you know, that I feel like many kids know that there are authors and they know that there are illustrators. Some know that there are graphic designers and publishers, but I feel like, and I've seen this in, with some of the, the grade school children I've talked to, they don't know about translators. <laughs> and maybe if they did, they would feel more encouraged to continue to learn the languages that they might already know that their parents might speak or their grandparents or their cousins might speak. So it might help them feel more confident about the languages in their life, might help them or inspire them to, to want to keep learning them. Yeah. Um, and then how does your experience working with diverse cultures and languages and communities and visiting those communities? Um, how has that informed your, how you teach your students as a professor? Do you feel like you can translate those experiences into the classroom? Contact, so for me, contact with communities or people outside of the university has been through my work and experience directing the Translation Center and more specifically with this big project that we've been doing for the past couple of years, which involves working with bilingual staff in public schools to help them develop their translation and interpreting skills. Often in, in public schools, bilinguals are hired to be translators or interpreters in their school in addition to like another role they might have. 
but they haven't yet received training or they haven't been able to develop those skills as translators or interpreters. So that I, I've met like about 300 different people from about 10 to 12 different languages and who all have these roles in schools. And what I take from that, I guess, back into the classroom is just the huge need for trained interpreters and translators in the U.S. and a greater recognition for what it is translation and interpreting or language access services can do for families. And that's made me just think of how can I get all of the students to recognize what translators and interpreters do and inspire them to support this kind of work that provides language access to people, but that doesn't necessarily ask the students to be translators or interpreters because of course like <laughs> they're all not going to do that and, and they don't need to but how can they be thinking about these things so no matter like what profession they go into they're aware of how to work with trained interpreters what is a responsible process for getting a document translated when do you need a professional to do it when is it okay to like ask just a bilingual employee to do it and then I guess that's led me to talk to them about how large this industry really is. Um, and not necessarily with literary translation, but with the, the with language service providers and the language access industry, which is, I think it's worth like $56 billion worldwide. I don't know what the latest figures are. And it's one of the fastest growing industries. And to be part of that industry, you don't need to be a translator or an interpreter. Those are jobs that are part of it, but you could be like a project manager, you could be in marketing, you could be a language specialist. So to show them that there are all these career paths that they might not know about because in US universities, we don't have departments of translation and interpretation. So that is how work outside the university has made me realize that maybe we're doing a disservice to our students who are bilingual if we don't tell them about this industry or haven't yet found ways for, for it to be a solid part of our, of our programs. Mm -hmm. And in what areas do you personally feel that the Massachusetts public school system could improve in offering translation opportunities? For individuals in the translation field or just staff that are bilingual? Yeah, I think Massachusetts is doing really great things. As I said before, I think that to date we've provided this workshop series to over 300 bilingual school staff who provide these services and it's a start and I think the State Department of Education is doing is doing the right thing. But what I think needs to happen is other people need to join the effort and the other people are not necessarily the State Department and are not necessarily the um, bilingual individuals who are developing these skills, but the monolingual people or the parents who don't need the services, the school and district leaders, in order for families who need language access services, in order for them to get them, the whole community like needs to be aware of this and what they are and how they work. So I think in Massachusetts, which I don't conduct too much research on this, um, but I think we're in a better place than some other states. And this is really a great start. And it's just that more people need to find out about what the State Department is doing and be there 
to support those efforts, whether they need the services or not. Are you currently working to expand or like looking to expand your work to other states or school systems outside of Massachusetts? We, we, would, we would love to. And we, we've talked to some other states, but yeah, <laughs> it costs money and states have to have the money, right? So that we can pay staff to organize this so that we could pay professionals to lead the workshop series. Um, but we've heard from many other states who are who are asking us, you know, how do we do this? What are we doing? And, and I hope that like those conversations continue because I think that the structure of the initial training is working really well. And it really is sensitive to the fact that some school employees have a lot of work to do. Sometimes they have two jobs, families, and, and many other responsibilities. So, so we're trying to be really sensitive to that. I also think calling our initiative a workshop series is helpful because I think workshop as opposed to an academic university course assumes that the people coming are also contributing their knowledge. And while, you know, while of course that happens in, in university classrooms, I think just having the word workshop there represents that we already know people are doing the work with all the best intentions, but that we now need to professionalize school interpreters and translators as we've done in medical field and in legal field. And do you find that students come into your classes at UMass at a level you would like to see for college level, like foreign language speakers? Um, and then on top of that, do you feel like you see some states are providing better real world translation experience and maybe what states? at UMass, um, like in, in Spanish, at the undergraduate level. In general, they're, they're at, a, at a good place. You know, translators and interpreters are, and anyone who, who speaks any language, you know, these are things that you're constantly developing in order to improve your use of language. You need to always be reading, writing, um, listening to the languages that you know. Sure, it, it could always be better. I mean, in the U.S., we're so far behind where other countries are at in terms of languages. I, I don't want to like speak for the whole world, but I have spent a lot of time in, in Barcelona, and there you could visit a public school or an el really elite private school, and a solid part of what they do is offer education in, in three languages, and that's not considered something like so special. So I think in the US, it's hard when most schools are not offering a second language until middle school or high school for college students, if they don't already have access to these languages or they're not studying them in, in a formal setting for them to have certain skills. But I think the, the students get it. The students get that speaking another language is like a revolutionary act and, and they get that this is important. So the real world experience. Well, I know at the Translation Center, we offer students this kind of real world experience in translation and interpreting. Not, and I don't mean to say that we have students translating or interpreting, but they're working alongside project managers and they're working with myself and the assistant director on special projects and they're seeing what it takes to produce a quality translation, what it takes to manage all these projects. So they get exposure that way, but they're, they're not translating or interpreting. Some of our graduate students do. 
most of those graduate students come from abroad, from countries where they did graduate with a college degree in translation. So in some cases, graduate students can do the work. But the UMass Translation Center is pretty unique in offering this kind of real world experience to undergrads and to graduate students. There are some other universities. The University of Arizona has, has something similar. The University of Texas has another kind of translation center. I don't think it's, it's as large as UMass Translation Center, but there are some other states and, and state universities that, that have this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like children and communities in your experience of what you see within the United States are kind of losing their connections to language backgrounds because American public education systems might be encouraging starting languages like later, Americanization rather than like language diversity? I think that my focus has been having this opportunity to work with Massachusetts public schools to train interpreters and translators or to help them develop their skills. Oh. And so I've been really engaged with that, like so close up, you know, but then it really inspires me though, with this idea of like, in order for this to work well, everyone needs to know what it means to be a translator. Everyone needs to know what it means to be an interpreter, how to work with an interpreter. And so then I start to think about how we could get translation in other ways into schools. And there are, some programs in the UK where um, translated literature is, is taught or is used in K through 12 schools as a way to help the students connect. If you're from one country, I'm from another country, well maybe, you know, we read a book translated into English from, from your country and then we read a book translated into English from my country and we see what we can learn about each other through those books if there's something to learn. I don't mean to say that every book like is going to represent <laughs> the person from that country, but I think I've been inspired to see like, wow, if we can somehow get translated literature into schools so young people start thinking about translation and what it is early on, then that might inspire more language learning, more pride in people's languages or their families' languages and more people reading literature and translation and then hopefully like increase that 3% number. And then I also just think about maybe high school students also being part of, of this workshop series that helps bilingual school employees develop their skills. That if high school students saw that these are careers, these are professionals, and you know, you could be inspired by your principal to want to become a school principal, you can also be inspired by this interpreter um, to become an interpreter and a, and a conference interpreter. So, so I guess those are the ways I'm thinking of, of having translation connect with language and K through 12 mm -hmm. students. Do you feel that like over like the years that um, public schools have kind of been more open about reaching out to kind of get translation services for, or training for bilingual professionals within their system? Yeah, I think definitely COVID has exposed that language, the, the language divide, right, in, in schools. It's not only about technology and about other things, but there's like, but about the language divide. So I think schools know that they have to do this. Uh, I think some schools are, are better about figuring out how to fund this. But, but they know, they know they have to do it. And 
And yes, I, I think more and more schools are going to find a way, find a way to do it. This concludes our interview. On behalf of the Clark Forum, thank you again for sitting down and having this conversation with me.